you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by DraftKings. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grand, masking and socially distancing when and where necessary. And we have made it through another Sunday of football. That's four. We have pretty much hit the quarter pole of the NFL season. Still a couple of games tonight. We will get to that a little bit later on in the show. In fact, we got plenty to talk about today. A couple of really big injuries that are going to impact the waiver wire this week. We've got some guys whose fantasy stock is rising and some guys that... Maybe it's time to sort of recalculate our estimations for this season. We'll figure out whether or not it's time to maybe put them to the bench, the waiver wire, or if we're giving these guys maybe another chance. We'll be joined, of course, as always, as we are on Monday by the one and only Kimmy Checks. But before we do any of that, let's talk to our faithful producer, senior Edward L. Murphy Esquire. And Murph, I know it's not great talking about the Giants, but the silver lining is... They're still in the thick of the race in the NFC East. As bad as that division has been, they're not out of it. So that, that has to be somewhat encouraging, right? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been so poor, the play there. And uh, I thought Dallas was going to run away with the division, especially with how good the offense has been. But offense is uh, only half the game. Their defense is not good at all. So it's very frustrating to see the Giants, like, be within a game or two um, of that division. But, man, oh, man, like, this pandemic has not been kind to anyone. But the only positive from it is that I didn't spend over $100 to go see the Giants play in uh, the new uh, SoFi Stadium because, man, that would have been a humongous waste. You're going to tell me they're going to hold this Rams offense to 17 points and you can't muster up a single touchdown I mean it's it's just like a never-ending nightmare for me it is so brutal to watch so I mean I man oh man like I don't know what's going to happen with this team but it, it is not pretty right now yeah it, it is rough what four games and three touchdowns which yeah. in 2020 in the age of offensive football is uh a feat unto itself not one I think people you know that are associated with the Giants want to want to celebrate but it is it is kind of an right. amazing feat and they, the player they traded away, Odell Beckham Jr., scores three himself. And I mean, it's just like it, it writes itself. It's really a big joke. It is not fun. Uh, hopefully things get better. We'll see. But at least, you know, in some backwards way, we know the NFC East is going to be competitive all year long. Yeah. All right. Uh, just kind of get you updated on what is going to happen football-wise on this Monday. Just a reminder that the Patriots and Chiefs game has been scheduled for tonight it is scheduled to go on ahead there have been no further positive tests on either side so the game is on uh, the Patriots are traveling on Monday to Kansas City they will play the Chiefs a scheduled 705 Eastern time kickoff that's 405 for those of you in the West so we will have football we'll have a double header of football this evening of course we have the already scheduled game between the Packers and the Falcons that one's set to kick uh, about an hour and a half or so after the Patriots and Chiefs get going. Uh, both games will be nationally televised as well. So you'll see, be, be able to see both games on your TV, no matter where you live across the states. All right, it is Monday. So let's bring in the one and only Kimmy Checks as we talk about the Patriots and Chiefs or Kansas City Chiefs get ready to get going. And uh, maybe this was not the time you expected to watch them, but it's something of an island game. So they, they get a little bit of time all to themselves. That's kind of exciting, right? 
It's always exciting, and it's always so funny when you bring in uh, Eddie every single week, and he's just so sad about the Giants and how bad they are. And then you bring me in, and I have absolutely nothing to complain about because we have Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, and we're the best team in the NFL. And Marcus, before we really get into the show, I want to show you I'm rocking an Iowa sweater today. One, because I went there, right. but two, because of your San Francisco 49ers, George Kittle, he was back and he was healthy and he was a beast last night. And then Nick Mullins, he wasn't so hot. So what did they do? They went and got their third string quarterback, who is another Iowa Hawkeye, just so happens to be George Kittle's best friend, CJ Beathard. And then he goes out within three minutes, he catches the team up and he throws dime after dime after dime. So a uh, good day for Iowa Hawkeyes and a good day, I guess, kind of for you as a 49ers fan. I, I was thinking about you watching that game last night, seeing C.J. Beathard come in there and thinking, you know, if he pulls this off and brings them back and wins this game, Kimmy might just be insufferable on Monday. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I would take it because it meant that the 49ers won. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. But it was a good showing by Beathard late in that game to at least give them a chance. I mean, look, they get a pass swatted away in the end zone that George Kittle may have caught. Uh, and and could have been the game winner there. So we'll see what happens going forward. It certainly puts to bed, I think, the controversy between Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Mullins. I think we can put that conversation away at this point. All right. Let's look at some of the fantasy news that we had that occurred on Sunday. The first big one, welcome to the party, Joe Mixon. We had been wondering where you were. We hadn't seen Joe Mixon all year long, and finally we see him in a big way on Sunday. 181 scrimmage yards, three touchdowns. Got you more than 40 fantasy points in this one. So are we back in on Joe Mixon? Can we feel confident that we're going to get solid production from him the rest of the way? I mean, it's Joe Mixon. He's a very talented back, but he's still really stuck behind a not-so-hot offensive line. Now, I have tried to buy into every single Bengals player as possible because I think Joe Burrow is a great quarterback. I think Tyler Boyd has some opportunity, as we saw. I also think T. Higgins is stepping up. But the thing with Joe Mixon is that he's still going to share passing downs with Giovanni Bernard. But most importantly, and this is a hard part of why I'm kind of buying in but kind of not, they go on to face the Ravens and the Colts in the next two weeks. And then he has two more games facing the Steelers. So those are really, really, really tough matchups. If I was a fantasy manager that had Joe Mixon, this is where I may look to see if I could trade away from him. Because he just had this dynamic performance, there may be some people who want to completely buy into the hype. So then maybe you can get him off of your roster and get somebody else in return. Now, I know that the running back position has been fraught with injury. That is something that we have seen. And we're going to speak about some of those injuries later on in this show. I am semi kind of buying into Joe Mixon. I really, really like him. If I was struggling at the running back position, I would keep him on my squad. But if you have some other options, maybe this is a time to sell him away and see what you can get back in return. I 100% agree with that. I think that, you know, we'll talk about waiver wire a little bit later on in this show, but sort of top line here, I mean, we know Nick Chubb is going to be out for an extended period of time. We know Austin Eckler is going to be out for an extended period of time. So there may be managers in your league that are hurting at the running back position. I would have said even before we got this uh, prognosis on those other two backs, I'm with you. I would have put him on the trading block just to see what I could get back because this feels like the absolute ceiling for Joe Mixon. The schedule, as you mentioned, is going to be tough in stretches at times. 
and there are going to be some ups and downs. Mixon is going to be a volatile back. He will get a lot of touches, but the production might not be what you want it to be. So this might be an opportunity to put him in there, put some offers out, see what you can get back for him, especially for managers in your league that maybe have lost somebody at the running back position that is, that is in need of help. Maybe they're willing to give you something back to help strengthen your roster in some other spots. So this seems like a perfect sort of sell high opportunity on Joe Mixon's fantasy stock and, and maybe sort of rid yourself of that week to week headache of will he or won't he uh, and let that be somebody else's problem on a weekly basis. Speaking of guys who maybe hit their fantasy ceiling on Sunday, Odell Beckham Jr. And I know on the Sunday show, Kimmy, we had the debate of, you know, do you go Odell Beckham Jr. or Justin Jefferson? Both of them had really good days. Jefferson was still over 100 yards, but man, OMG, OBJ, 154 scrimmage yards. You heard Eddie mention it. He had three touchdowns. The Giants have three touchdowns all year. Odell had three in one game. For for Odell himself, was this about him and what the Browns offense did? Or is this just about the Cowboys defense just being pretty awful yesterday? Okay, first, let me say that when we chatted on Sunday show, we had the conversation, Justin Jefferson, Odell Beckham Jr. I completely shaded Odell Beckham Jr. And I am so sorry. I'm going to go ahead and eat my words <laughs> and apologize from the front because both you and Rank decided to start him over Justin Jefferson. And obviously he went out and had a game. Of course, Odell Beckham Jr., I think yesterday's game always showed us, and I think he has one of, you know, a game or two every season, single season where he go goes out and he does something that is very Odell Beckham Jr.-like, which was yesterday's game. If you talk about that pass that he got from Jarvis Landry, it was an absolute dime. That was really, really fun. He is a great player. However, we would be remiss if we did not mention that the Dallas Cowboys defense is abysmal. The Cowboys defense ranks dead last amongst fantasy defenses, giving up 144 points this season. That is absolute trash. That is horrible. And if I were Jerry Jones, I would be cussing every single defensive player and defensive coordinator under the sun to try to understand what exactly is happening. I think that, like you said, this may be Odell Beckham Jr. ceiling, and this is the best game that he may have fantasy-wise. I do still think that he is relevant. They're going up against the Colts. That's a little bit of a tougher matchup. You go from the dead last defense to the top defense in fantasy football. But I still do think that you start Odell Beckham Jr. because I have have now learned don't ever bet against him because then he will show out and show up however Dallas Cowboys defense you got to get it together because Dak Prescott is trying his absolute hardest and he's doing great but you are losing games just because your defense is so bad Dak Prescott might throw for 6,000 yards this year <laughs> in part because his defense is putting him in situations where they have to score a lot of points as for OBJ the takeaway for me from this is He's a volatile play. He, he isn't the wide receiver one, just set it and forget it guy that he used to be when he was with the Giants. But he does still have the potential to give you these big games like we saw yesterday. I think you know, he made the point earlier in the week that the Browns' goal offensively was to make Nick Chubb the number one rusher in the NFL. Obviously with Chubb's injury that puts it on hold, but... The greater point is the Browns want to run the football. They want to run the football a lot. So that means that on a week-to-week -week basis, Odell may be sort of volatile. And that applies for Jarvis Landry. That applies for any of the pass catchers in that Browns offense. So I think you do sort of play the matchups. And as you mentioned, Kimmy, he goes from a very favorable matchup 
against the Dallas Cowboys to a not-so-favorable matchup against the Indianapolis Colts. You mentioned they've got the Steelers a couple times down the road as well. So there are some things that are going to be very difficult when, in terms of starting OBJ. I think we sort of look at him as maybe a high-end wide receiver two with some wide receiver one upside, depending on the matchup. But I don't, I don't think he is going to be one of those elite-tier fantasy receivers. Not he, he has the talent to be an elite actual wide receiver, just fantasy-wise. I don't think the scheme and the schedule will sort of allow for that. Uh, the other takeaway is, and I tweeted this uh, during the game yesterday, maybe start your everybody against the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys because right now that's sort of what it seems, which means maybe we are starting to slide in some New York Giants players next week. Maybe Devontae Freeman is a nice flex play next week. Maybe uh, we get something out of Evan Ingram, who has been missing in action so far this season. So. Uh, just something to keep in mind if you are shorthanded at certain positions and maybe there are some opportunities to get some of your giants in your lineup to sort of help out there. All right, Tom Brady. I last week uh, on Fantasy Live sort of said, eh, I'm not sure about Brady. I think I would try to find some better options. They're playing the Chargers. It's not the best matchup. He goes off for 369 passing yards, five touchdowns to five different receivers, get you over 30 points. So... How do we feel about him? Are we starting to maybe reevaluate Tom Brady as a weekly starter in fantasy now? I think we have to, but for me at least, you know, I, and we've always talked about this when we talked about draft strategies, I always buy into a quarterback pretty early. That's just my strategy. I know a lot of people don't do that. They kind of wait for those later round guys and you see a big payoff because some people bought into Deshaun Watson really early. He's not really had a good year. And then you have a guy like Joe Burrow who you can get on the waiver wire or pick up way later. And then he goes and he puts up just as many points, if not more. Tom Brady, he is unquestionably the GOAT, right? He is very, very good at football, but we also have to look at his schedule and the matchups. They have a really tough one the next few weeks. First, they go up against the Chicago Bears. Then they go up against the Oakland Raiders. So you may say, oh, they're not that good, but then they win and they shut down Drew Brees and the Saints. Then speaking of the Saints, Tom Brady goes and faces Drew Brees yet again, and then they go on to the Packers. If I look at Tom Brady, he is great, but he has had a very volatile season in fantasy football, especially because of the pick sixes and the interceptions that he's thrown. Now, we can go ahead and argue he is still an incredible quarterback. Like you said, 369 passing yards, five different touchdowns to five different receivers. However, I think that you need to stream Tom Brady later on in the season after week nine, or actually starting with week nine, once they have a lot easier of a schedule. So Tom Brady, he's still great. But for me, I'm waiting to stream him once the matchups are a little bit more favorable. Yeah, I, I had him as the at the beginning of the season as the QB 12 or so. Uh, I think that he is going to be as you mentioned, sort of volatile. I think he's a guy that you're still sort of playing the matchups on. I didn't love the matchup against the Chargers, and he went out and balled. That's great. If you started him, good on you. Congratulations. I still think that because the schedule is sort of mixed, that I would tend to play the matchups with Brady more than anybody else. And chances are, if you drafted Tom Brady, you probably have another quarterback on your roster, so you are sort of going to mix and match on a weekly basis. You mentioned the Raiders in there, too. And I think what's interesting is, we talk about muscle memory when it comes to fantasy and defenses that we always think we can pick on. And the Raiders generally have been one of those. Their FPA so far this season against passing games is better than you would anticipate. Now, you know, maybe it is just such a, a function of uh, maybe a hot start to the season or, or just some guys just not playing well on the other side against them. 
but their FPA maybe is, is shockingly good so far this year. So we'll see what that means in a couple of weeks when they face the Buccaneers. But I, I still am holding to this idea that Brady is not necessarily an every week starter, that he's a guy you want to kind of stream when the, the matchup is right. And uh, for all the great things he has done, uh, yeah, at some point, it catches up to everybody. He's not just he's just not that elite plug and play guy that he used to be. We'll see if it happens. I could sit here in a month and be completely eating crow about this whole thing, but I'm I'm still kind of sticking with what I thought at the beginning of the season because it sort of is where I thought it would be at the beginning of the season. Okay, today's show is sponsored by DraftKings, a leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings has millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs this week. So Download the DraftKings app now. Use code TEAM during sign-up and start feeling the sweat like never before. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Hey, it's time for Performance Ready, presented by Castrol Edge. As we do every Monday, it's checks marks the spot. We pick three players, and we try to figure out what this means for them going forward based on what they did on Sundays. We're looking at three guys whose fantasy stock might be rising after their Sunday performance. And this one has a decidedly young player turn to. I was going to say rookies, but one of the three is not. But we'll start with one of the rookies, Antonio Gibson, who had sort of been hard to pinpoint early in the season, but had easily his best game of his young NFL career on Sunday, Kimmy. And things seem to be maybe a little more encouraging for Gibson now. Things are looking up for Gibson, even against that really tough matchup against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Now, Antonio Gibson, he rushed 13 times for 46 yards and a touchdown. Plus, he caught four of his five targets for 82 yards in that loss to the Ravens. Now, his role in that Washington football team offense, it seems like it's growing and increasing week by week. And his 17 touches in week four were a season high. Now, the thing that's really good about him is that he contributes as both a runner and a pass catcher. And I think as you look to this week five matchup against the Los Angeles Rams, he should be started in all formats if you need help wrap that running back position and if you are lucky enough to grab him. Now, if anything is clear and if anything is positive, it's that Gibson should at least function as a third down running back and see plenty of targets go his way, starting from his roots in the backfield. Now, I think there's a lot of opportunity and he could get some of those red zone carries and as a fantasy manager, obviously you want all parts of that because that means more points for you. So things are looking up for Antonio Gibson. And I think it's a really favorable matchup this week against the Rams. So let's just see if this was a one-time thing or if he is the real deal. The upside for Gibson and the reason people loved him coming into the season is because he really was a hybrid player in college who split time as a running back and as a wide receiver. That means that in theory, he can be on the field pretty much all the time, especially if he can work on his pass protection skills. That allows Washington to use him in a, a multitude of ways. The downside through the first you know, three, four weeks has been it's been hard to pinpoint his usage. Sometimes he's on the field a lot. Some weeks he's not on the field as much. We've seen them work in J.D. McKissick. Peyton Barber every once in a great while seems to get on the field. So if we could get some more consistent usage rates from him in this offense, I think we'd all feel a lot better. But as you mentioned, the way they used him on Sunday, especially as a pass catcher, more than 80 yards receiving, that allows us to be hopeful and remind us of why he was such a, a, a interesting player as we got late into draft season, especially once uh, you know, with Darius Geis was gone, once so many things happened in that backfield. There is a reason that everybody loved Antonio Gibson so much, and I think we saw a little bit of it on Sunday. Uh, T. Higgins. 
We've been talking about this Bengals passing group for a while. We all know Tyler Boyd is the wide receiver one. The battle we had been watching was for that number two spot between T. Higgins and A.J. Green. And after the last couple of weeks, I feel like T. Higgins is starting to come out on top there. He absolutely is. And I know we talked about this on the pod, maybe last week or the week before. And then I made the mistake of going to YouTube and looking at the comments. And all of these people were roasting me being like, you say that T. Higgins is better than AJ Green. You are crazy. Whatever. Guys, you have to look at the game and realize that T. Higgins is actually usurping AJ Green. He caught four of seven targets for 77 yards in that win, the very first win for the Bengals against the Jags, as well as a 13-yard run. And he really did bust out on the scene, okay? Like, I, I want to buy into T. Higgins, and I really do think, obviously behind Tyler Boyd, he is the guy for Joe Burrow. Higgins went from zero targets in week one to six targets in week two, and then nine targets in week three, and then he had seven in week four. So the numbers are continually going up. Obviously, he had a little bit of a dip in week four, but again, their production is there, and I really do think he is forming a really strong relationship with Joe Burrow. I don't know if you guys saw, but Joe Burrow tweeted out last night. He said, winning really does feel good. And that's right. The Bengals team wants to go out, and they want to win. Yes, they have some tough matchups coming up, but I do think T. Higgins, though he could be semi-volatile, he is that true wide receiver, too, for that offense. So I am buying in. You guys can continue to roast me in your YouTube comments or on Twitter or do all of the things. But when T. Higgins finishes above A.J. Green this season, you can eat your own words, and then I will tweet back at you. T. Higgins is getting the ball in space right now, which is a good thing. They're finding ways to get him the ball where he can do things with it in his hands, where he can run after the catch. That's good. One thing to remember, if you want a guy who's getting a lot of targets in a high-volume passing offense, that's a pretty good gig if you can get it. And it seems like Higgins is starting to do that. A.J. Green on Sunday, five targets, one catch for three yards. They're just not getting him the ball consistently, and they're not getting him the ball in any situations where he can pick up a decent number of yards. It just seems like the, the passing of the torch is happening there in Cincinnati. This is a young team that is trying to build something, and as much as A.J. Green has been great for them for a very long time, at some point you start to sunset those older players, and I think that's sort of what happening, what's happening for A.J. Green. And T. Higgins is sliding in there to sort of become the Robin to Tyler Boyd's Batman in that passing game. The other lesson here is... Never read the comments. That's just, you know, <laughs> that's just general advice that I have for, learned. for you, learned. for anybody. Just don't read the comments and your mental health will be a whole lot better. Finally, Devin Singletary. Zach Moss did not play on Sunday against the Raiders. And even when Moss has been on the field, Singletary is the guy who gets a lot of work between the 20s. The problem is that there seemed to have been an invisible force field at the goal line Either somebody, you know, wasn't paying attention and Singletary snuck in or he figured something out. I don't know what this means long term, but it, it, it at least makes me feel a little bit better about having Devin Singletary on some rosters, just knowing that it's not fully impossible for him to score touchdowns. It's so funny. I feel like there's like an invisible force shield wall that Devin Singletary just stops right before he gets to the goal line. He's like, I cannot score. This is not my role. This is not me. But he finally did it. He had 23 touches in week four, which is insane. Again, Zach Moss did not play, which is why Singletary did step up and prove that he really is a bell cow back. Plus, he finally got that goal line carry which I think has solidified him as a RB2. Now, even when Zach Moss does return to that offense,
offense. I think that Devin Singletary has proved that he deserves more and more and more opportunities. He rushed 18 times for 55 yards, a touchdown, plus five receptions for 21 yards in that win against the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm completely bought into Devin Singletary. I think he's an incredibly talented back. And in an offense where uh, Josh Allen is slinging the ball, but they also like to run the ball, this guy has a ton of opportunity and a huge upside. I just want the Bills to love Devin Singletary the way we all seem to love Devin Singletary. It just feels like they keep putting obstacles in his way. First, it was Frank Gore. Now it's Zach Moss. Josh, Josh Allen is still going to run the ball down near the goal line, which is going to make it frustrating. But just the way they use him and the way they get him the football, that alone is encouraging enough. So if he could just get an occasional touchdown, I'm not even asking for him to score double-digit touchdowns. I would just like him to get somewhere between six and eight touchdowns in a year because the rest of his usage is enough that I would feel confident for him being an RB2. But so far, the Bills haven't done that. Maybe what we saw yesterday is the beginning of good things. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm just hoping that this is the start of something good for Devin Singletary. Anyway, if you guys want to vote on who you think has their fantasy stock rising the most, you can go to Kimmy Checks's page on Twitter, at Kimmy Checks, and you can vote there. Of course, if you have somebody else in mind, you can leave that in the comments as well. We may read those. Uh, just because, you know, that's part of the show. That's what we're going to do there. So uh, get in, vote, give us your opinion. We certainly would love to hear it. In the meantime, that was Performance Ready, presented by Castrol Edge. It's time to talk some waiver wire ads for week five. And we'll start by mentioning a couple of really notable injuries that happened on Sunday, both of them at the running back position. News broke on Monday morning that... Uh, Nick Chubb is going to go on injured reserve after he suffered an MCL injury. Now, it's not season-ending. That is the good news. But he will be out potentially six weeks for the Cleveland Browns. So certainly Kareem Hunt is going to see a much larger workload. He's a guy who has been playing well already, but he's going to get some more opportunity there. The other big news, Austin Eckler, who left the game for the Chargers on Sunday. According to our own Ian Rappaport, he suffered what is considered a serious hamstring injury. Now, no long-term decision has been made, but the idea is that he will probably land on injured reserve and he will be out for some time as well. So that leads us to our waiver wire for week five. And uh, we'll see the screen here. I mean, let's just go position by position. Starting the tight end, Dalton Schultz is the guy who's going to get some looks. The two big running back names, though, that will come off the waiver wire this week. Dearness Johnson in Cleveland, Joshua Kelly in Los Angeles, and then a couple of wide receivers to, to note. Brandon Ayuk and T. Higgins, who we talked about earlier in the show, still available in a whole lot of leagues, but I do think that's going to change in the week to come. But let's start actually at the tight end spot with Dalton Schultz because, uh, Kimmy, uh, we, we talked about this before. Adam Rank, you know, credit to him, was very much on the Blake Jarwin train all summer long. Unfortunately, he suffered the injury and is out for the year. But it really looks like Dalton Schultz has jumped in, and he has not missed a beat so far. He has, and it's funny because we want to give credit to Adam Rank. But I'm like, no, you jinx Blake Jarwin. But, and good news, Dalton Schultz is now getting all of the opportunity. Now, I know he's kind of a name that's been on the waiver wire a few weeks and a guy that we've mentioned. And if you're not buying in back then, you should absolutely buy in now. He caught four of his eight targets. 
for 72 yards and a touchdown on Sunday in that sad loss to the Cleveland Browns because uh, Cowboys defense, what's going on here? Uh, but with Blake Jarwin <laughs> out, there's a reason that Schultz has stepped up. And we can see that Dak Prescott is going to have to throw the ball to keep the Cowboys in the game. And he really does like using a tight end as one of those receivers. Now, a reason why I think Dalton Schultz should be such a big add on the waiver wire is because the tight end spot, a lot of guys are getting banged up. OJ Howard is feared to be out for the rest of the season. Dallas Goddard is injured. Noah Fant got banged up, even though that's supposedly supposed to be minor. So in a position that's already stretched really, really thin, unless you have one of those best guys like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, you want to look to get Schultz into your lineup because I do think he's going to be a consistent tight end one, tight end two type of guy. Dalton Schultz right now is the tight end five, which says a lot about how they're using him. It does say something about the tight end position because you go through the, the top 10 guys. I mean, look, we didn't expect Jimmy Graham was going to be a top 10 fantasy tight end. We've had some, some interesting performances this year from the tight end position, but Schultz has consistently performed. And right now, I don't see any reason why things won't change. I mean, you talked to Kimmy about the Cowboys' poor defense and how it's forcing Dak Prescott to throw the football. So the opportunities are going to be there. The targets are going to be there. So if you haven't bought in on, on Dalton Schultz, uh, it is about time that you do so because I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Uh, another name that I mentioned that is going to be a hot waiver wire pickup this week is Joshua Kelly. We talked about him after week one. He had that big performance and he freaked out a lot of Austin Eckler managers. The last couple of weeks, including on Sunday, have not been particularly great. He had a fumble, did not score a lot fantasy-wise, did not do a whole lot for the Chargers. But with Austin Eckler out for an extended period of time, Kimmy, this means that Joshua Kelly is going to get another opportunity to go out and try to produce. He absolutely will. And he's actually one of my favorite guys to target on the waiver wire, not only because this boosts his stock because of the unfortunate Austin Eckler news, but again, we keep talking about the running back position has been fraught with injuries. And this is where a guy like Joshua Kelly could step up. But before Austin Eckler even got hurt, Kelly also was kind of producing just as well. He had 14 carries and a target that then turned into 75 yards from scrimmage per game, plus he's had a touchdown this season. So though the Los Angeles Chargers are going up against the Saints in week five, that's a really tough matchup, you want to grab Josh Kelly because then if you look to week six, the Chargers take on the New York Jets, and uh, that Adam Gase-led team is not doing so hot. They're just Jets being Jets. So I do think this is a guy to absolutely make a priority and to really target on the waiver wire. I think with this Austin Eckler news, that boosts his stock even more. So I am kind of buying into Joshua Kelly and hoping that once we get to week five, week six, he really does have that breakout performance because he has a really good floor. The good thing about Joshua Kelly is that the Chargers have shown faith in him pretty much from the beginning. I mean, it, it hasn't been an issue of sort of easing him in. I mean, from, from right from the get-go, they were giving him a pretty significant workload, both as a runner and a pass catcher. They were throwing him the ball quite a bit, and we saw him getting opportunities down near the goal line. Hopefully the ball security issues don't become a long-term thing and they start to trust him a little bit more because the touches are going to be there for Kelly. So uh, again, he's a guy who was out on the waiver wire in a surprising number of NFL.com leagues. So if you have Austin Eckler or if you're just shorthanded at the running back spot in general, he's a guy that you probably want to look at this week on the waiver wire. Uh, in deeper situations, also keep the name Justin Jackson in your back pocket because with Eckler out, 
Kelly's not going to get 100% of the opportunities back there. Jackson's going to be the guy that kind of slides in there and starts to take over some of that secondary role. So certainly in deeper leagues, Justin Jackson is a name that you want to know this week. The other name I mentioned, Dearness Johnson, and he was sort of a surprise, I think, in Sunday in the sense that, you know, once Nick Chubb went down, he came in and he sort of helped uh, rest Kareem Hunt a little bit. Hunt was dealing with something of a groin injury. So I don't know what long-term the usage is going to be for Dearness Johnson, Kimmy, but I do think he at least should get some looks off the waiver wire just because the opportunity, I think, is going to open up for him. He should. And even though Kareem Hunt was incredible... Ernest Johnson actually did lead the team in carries. He had 13 carries for 95 yards. So again, if you look at that production, you have to kind of take note of it and realize that with this sad Nick Chubb news, Kareem Hunt, like you said, he's going to need to rest because also defenses are going to be completely keyed into him as that is the number one running back. And we have to stop him because of that elusive speed and that quickness that he has on the field. So this is where Johnson really can step up. I think it was promising to see the amount of carries that he got and the amount of yards that he could run. So again, a really good name, kind of deeper on the waiver wire, but a priority nonetheless. He will be, a, he's a deeper on the waiver wire, but he's a name that people are going to learn, I think, in the next few days, especially as this Nick Chubb news starts to get out sort of in wider circulation and people are starting to make their waiver wire claims. All right, so now all of those names that we mentioned, which one of them, or maybe there's another one, uh, will be the guy that you are prioritizing on your waiver claims this week. You know, the guy that I'm going to prioritize is we chatted him earlier. I think Joshua Kelly has the best opportunity, especially with Austin Eckler being out. But another name that I think people should look at is Keyshawn Vaughn. Now, Ronald Jones is still going to be the number one back for the Buccaneers, but there's also been some injuries, right? Leonard Fournette and LaShawn McCoy are banged up in dealing with it. Tom Brady, we talked about him earlier. He's a little bit volatile as a passer right now because of those pick sixes and those interceptions. So the Jones is going to continue to see the, the bulk of opportunity in the run game. Keyshawn Vaughn is also going to start to get some picks ups. And I think uh, he's a guy that, again, if you need somebody at the running back position, the, the, the horizons, the floodgates are opening for him. <laughs> Yeah, I, look, I, I, I'm curious about Keyshawn Vaughn because he definitely was a guy that we were sort of trying to figure out earlier in the season. We had no idea what the usage was going to be. Then Leonard Fournette showed up and completely threw that out of whack. I definitely think that I'm with you in terms of using my top priority on uh, Joshua Kelly this week just because I think he's he's bound for a bigger workload than, say, Dearness Johnson or anybody like that. If you're stocked up at the running back position and you're not needing help there, then maybe you sort of shift that to a T. Higgins or maybe even a Brandon Ayuk. But I think for a lot of people, Joshua Kelly is going to be that guy that they target very heavily on the waiver wire this week. Time to look at some guys that maybe we are recalculating our expectations on. Some players that we had high expectations for coming into the season who so far have let us down in one way or another. So I got five names on the list, and we'll talk about whether or not it's time to move on from these guys or whether or not we're still giving them a chance, which a month into the season, uh, they, gotta be, they have to have some really high potential, I think, for us to give some of these guys another chance. So let's start with maybe the guy who's been the biggest disappointment through the first four weeks of the season, and that is Kenyon Drake. And I think after the first three weeks, Kimmy, we looked at him and said, okay, well, you know, the matchups have been so-so, but – uh, this week, it's the Carolina Panthers. Like, we're all in. Like, if it doesn't happen this week, then, then maybe we got to really think about what we're doing with Kenyon Drake. He had his worst fantasy performance of the year this week. So now we're four months, we're four weeks in. Kenyon Drake has been disappointing. He he struggled against the one of the worst run defenses in the league. 
I mean, is it just time to give up on him? What are we doing? I know, you know, someone tweeted at us yesterday and was like, why is Kenyon Drake still on the undroppable list? I don't want any part of him. And then I saw another tweet this morning. It was Andy from Toy Story when he throws down his toys. And it was like all <laughs> fantasy managers with Kenyon Drake on their squad. And it was, I don't want to play with you anymore. And that's understandable. You know, as you can see on the screen, 13 rushes for 35 yards. But then he was not targeted once, and then he left the game in the fourth quarter and did not return. So I think for fantasy managers who bought into him really early in draft and spent a ton of capital on him, it's time to give him away because I really do not see this performance turning around at all. I understand it's still a small sample size, but you're right. It's a month into the season. I think you're really starting to understand how guys play, what their opportunities look like for the rest of the season, and I just don't think they're there for Kenyon Drake. I could see Chase Edmonds stepping up instead. So Kenyon Drake fantasy managers... I am so sorry I did not buy into him, uh, mostly because I couldn't even get him in drafts because he was going so high off the boards. Uh, so really, really, really disappointing. I, I apologize because I was the one or one of the people who definitely fed the hype train because I was all in on Kenyon Drake this year, and I thought it was really going to happen in a big way. He's still out on the field for a vast majority of the snaps. He's getting the majority of the opportunities, but you mentioned Chase Edmonds. He's starting to get more work there, and I don't know if this is going to become a true 50-50 split, but I do get the sense that that gap is going to close between Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds as the season goes along. The bigger picture is, as much as we are excited about this Cardinals offense, in general, it has been fairly narrow. You get Kyler Murray, who's been mostly productive because of his ability to run the football, and then you get DeAndre Hopkins, who has been an absolute target machine through the first four weeks. Beyond that, it just seems there's nobody in this offense that we can trust. I know Christian Kirk had a touchdown on Sunday. We're still waiting for Kenyon Drake. Larry Fitzgerald has been absent. Even Andy Isabella, who I know a lot of the hipsters and the deep league players certainly like, he has been very volatile week to week. So I think after a month, we're sort of reevaluating this Cardinals offense as a whole, but especially Kenyon Drake, because he has been one of the biggest disappointments. I understand if you want to be rid of him. I still just don't advocate just dumping him to the waiver wire try to package him in a trade. You can't trade him straight up. I know you're not going to get much for him in return, but maybe you make him part of a package and see if you can sort of deal him that way and get something back in return because the draft capital you spent to get him, it just, for me, it just makes it hard for me to put him out on the waiver wire uh, and have him lost potentially with nothing to get back in return. DJ Moore, another guy that we thought was going to have a big year down there in Carolina. Instead, Robbie Anderson is doing all the things that we thought DJ Moore was going to do. Do we think it's going to get better or is it really time to panic on him? I think this is another panic button situation. And again, I wouldn't put him just straight up to the waiver wire. Again, I think it's a package deal. DJ Moore has not been playing so hot, but you know who has? It's, it's Robbie Anderson. I think he is getting the shine of opportunities, all of those targets. It just goes to prove all you need to do to be a good receiver is to get away from Adam Gase. Get all the way away, <laughs> and then you go to shine. DJ Moore only had four receptions for 49 yards versus the Cardinals on Sunday, less than nine fantasy points. Again, another guy at the wide receiver position who fantasy managers probably bought into really early in draft and spent a lot of capital. So the panic button is fully hit for me. I'm very much freaking out on DJ Moore because he's, it's interesting. If you sort of compare it to last year, the last couple of years, Robbie Anderson is what DJ Moore was. DJ Moore has sort of become what Curtis Samuel was, and Curtis Samuel has just completely dropped off the radar altogether. 
I don't know if it's that or that Moore is struggling to fit in in the Joe Brady offense, if it's that he's just not working well with Teddy Bridgewater. But whatever it is, it just has not been the way we thought it would be. I mean, a lot of people thought that this was really going to be a season where DJ Moore fully broke out, where he had the potential to be a top 10 wide receiver, and it has not been close to that. Instead, Robbie Anderson has been that guy. And with Anderson, it's looking a lot more sustainable than it is with DJ Moore. From one DJ to another DJ, this one, David Johnson. And I know that the thoughts on David Johnson were a lot more mixed coming into the season, that certainly not everybody was high on him potentially bouncing back. I thought there was potential, but I began, I began to be getting more cautious as we got toward the, the start of the season. Aside from that week one game where he looked okay against the Chiefs, uh, it has not been good for David Johnson. Is this one you feel like you could maybe put him out on the waiver wire and not feel so guilty about it? I think this one you could just sprinkle out on the waiver wire and then like you just you just put it out there and then you like look away right it's like if you ever do anything <laughs> bad or like you have a bad outfit and you're like okay i just did it once and then it's fine i'm just gonna move on i think that may be the the situation in the conversation with with david johnson i think instead duke johnson is getting some more opportunities i know we're going from dj to dj to dj but uh bill o'brien bro <laughs> what are you doing what is happening you gave up your best receiver and then you have kind of this tizzy of running back situations and i think in general General, the Houston Texans have not been playing well at all, Deshaun Watson included. So I think this is a situation where you don't necessarily want to buy into this offense where there is a lot of hype and a lot of perceived opportunity and then just no one has been able to deliver. This is one of the pass heaviest teams in the league, in part because their defense has struggled, uh, in part because that's just sort of how they want to play with Deshaun Watson. And so because of that, that does limit De uh, David Johnson's opportunities, certainly as a runner. And he's not getting a lot of targets because Deshaun Watson is just not known for checking down to his running backs. Like I said, early in fantasy draft season, I really had told myself this story where David Johnson was primed for a bounce back as we got into August and closer to the start of September. I started to back off on that a little bit. And I think what we have seen the first few weeks sort of reinforced the idea that David Johnson, I don't want to say that he's washed, but just at least he's not a great fit in this Houston offense. And maybe he really is just sort of a middling depth back. So uh, I think if you're certainly in 10 team leagues, I think you're fine to put him out there on the waiver wire. If you're in 12 or 14 team leagues or anything like that, I don't know that I'd advocate just dropping him straight out, but certainly I think you put him on the bench and the idea that, that you can get something good for him uh, production-wise maybe is going to be based on the matchup. If you can package him and get something for him, then I would certainly uh, advocate doing that. Staying in Houston, I really thought yesterday was going to be a good day for Brandon Cooks. I liked Will Fuller, who, who played well, had a couple touchdowns. I thought Brandon Cooks would maybe produce as well against that Viking secondary Three targets, zero catches, zero yards. That's not the kind of 300 game you were hoping from from Brandon Cooks, and he's just been so up and down that Kimmy, I think I think I'm done with him now. You're done. It's a full breakup. There's no there's no way to get over it. <laughs> uh, I know. Again, when we were talking on our fantasy game day show on Sunday, you were saying that you think Will Fuller had a ton of opportunities and he could really pop out and shine. Will Fuller, he went out and delivered. Another guy who got some opportunities was Kenny Stills. He even got one into the end zone. So I think you're right. I think it's maybe time to break up with Brandon Cooks, and I'm sorry about it. But again, this offense is struggling really, really badly, and I see guys like Kenny Stills stepping up and having way better of a relationship with Deshaun Watson, who really just needs to start airing the ball out so they can score some points and finally get a win on the season. 
I, it's it's just such a mess with, with that Houston offense. I mean, even Deshaun Watson has been just okay so far this season. Will Fuller has been up and down. He's battled injury. Brandon Cooks, as we just talked about, has been uh, just really – he had one game that was okay. The rest of it has just been awful. So I'm starting to be really skeptical of this Houston offense. And like I said, I think I'm done with Brandon Cooks. I will put him on the waiver wire. I will let him be someone else's headache. Tight end, as we talked about earlier, has been volatile yet again. We will always start and hope the tight end is going to be deep, and then we get to about this point in the season, we realize that tight end is not deep. Evan Ingram has been one of the bigger disappointments of the season. I was hoping that maybe Sunday would be a game to get him going, thinking that the Giants would have to throw the football to stay in it against the Rams. I mean, it wasn't necessary because they didn't give up a ton of points, but still Evan Ingram didn't give us much because tight end is so shallow, I'm, I'm loath to just completely release him back into the wild. But, I mean, what are we doing about Evan Ingram right now? You know, I think you're completely right because the dumpster fire situation at the tight end position, I personally am going to hold on to Evan Ingram as tight as I can. And if I want, maybe put him on my bench and see if I have a guy who I can stream who has a better matchup. You know, you can try to grab a guy like Mo Cox or Jimmy Graham who's really stepped up. But I do think... The, the Giants, and I'm so sorry, Eddie, the Giants need help. They desperately need help. And you would kind of assume that Evan Ingram would be the guy to step up, especially with Saquon Barkley out. A lot of this is is dependent on, on Daniel Jones and that offensive line that are just getting him beat down into the ground. But then he had a play where it's like, did Daniel Jones just sack himself on his own turf? Like, what is happening here? <laughs> I think, again, because the tight end position is so tough right now, I'm going to hold on to Evan Ingram and just hope and pray and cross my fingers and try to sage him before every single game and, and give it up to all of all of the universe to, to have good thoughts with them. So I'm going to hold on a little bit longer, but it's just been a huge, huge, huge disappointment. You drafted Evan Ingram hoping that he would be your every week tight end, but now I think you're in a position where if you have him, you are sort of streaming. You're playing the matchups, and you're hoping at some point he kicks in and he comes around. I just I know the Giants' offense has struggled. I can't imagine it's going to be quite this bad all year long. They're going to start getting the football to some guys. Ingram, I think, is going to be one of them. So – I can't completely let him go, but I can't play him every week. So I'm going to play the matchups. I'm going to find the best streaming options when and where I can and hope that at some point the guy that I invested some draft capital in turns into the guy that I thought he would be back in August. Okay, inspired by ongoing conversations with players, the NFL, NFL Players Association, and Players Coalition together launched NFL votes to empower and improve our communities through exercising the right to vote. Join the NFL family by registering to vote today and make your voice heard this November. Visit NFL.com votes to learn more. We've got a double header for you of Monday Night Football. First up, it will be the Patriots at the Chiefs. That one's set to kick at 7.05 Eastern. You can see it on CBS nationally. The Patriots and Chiefs, no more uh, positive tests of COVID-19 since the, the initial test on both sides there. And the Patriots traveling on Monday morning to get to Kansas City for tonight's game. So let's look at this from a fantasy perspective. The Patriots' backfield has become a very confusing place. James White is expected back this week. Uh, Sonny Michelle is expected to be out. He is out for this game tonight uh, against the Chiefs. But Rex Burkhead is there. Damian Harris is off of injured reserve. J.J. Taylor has been sprinkling in there. So with all this going on, which Patriots running back do you trust tonight? 
You know what? I think it's the guy who balled out in week one and then sadly had to miss a few weeks due to personal tragedy, but now he's back. I think James White is going to be the number one back tonight. I also think Rex Burkhead is going to see some opportunities. Sadly, I think both of these guys do take a hit because of the change at the quarterback position with Cam Newton, who did test positive for COVID-19 and is now on the COVID list. But uh, James White, when he did play in week one, he turned eight opportunities into 52 yards from scrimmage in week one. Really good numbers for a running back. Now, I know when Cam Newton is under center, a lot of those running backs have missed opportunities because Cam is mobile and can run the ball into the end zone himself. That's not now the case with Brian Hoyer uh, at the quarterback position. Now, I do think that James White is going to be the number one back. I also could see uh, Rex Burkhead coming back and stepping back in as well. So I think, again, it's just a messy backfield. And like you like to call it, it's Bellatrix uh, from Bill Belichick, where he always wants to confuse us. But I do think that James White will be the top scorer at the running back position for this Patriots team. I agree. I think James White's the guy who's going to be there to sort of take some of the pressure off Brian Hoyer, give him some easy outlet throws to make. Uh, it's his first start in uh, almost a calendar year. Uh, so I, I think they want to try to you know keep some of the pressure off of him as much as possible. That's what James White is going to do. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Rex Burkhead get in there near the goal line and maybe get some of those short carries. I think your point is well made about Cam not being there and opening up some of those goal line opportunities. But because of the pieces that are missing, I think it's going to be hard to sort of accurately project what we get out of this Patriots backfield. I get it if you have to play some of these guys, but if you have any other options, I think you'd stay away. And I think if you're playing DFS, I would stay away from the Patriots backfield just because there's so much uncertainty there. How worried are you, though, about, say, Julian Edelman because there's no Cam Newton tonight? You know, I'm a little bit worried, but it's also Julian Edelman, and we've seen that he is a talented receiver no matter who the quarterback is. He's always going to be good, and he is that main offensive target. Now, we don't know what Hoyer is going to do with the football. Obviously, he's still a good quarterback because before Cam Newton was named the starter, there was this very weird argument of, you know, will Hoyer start over Cam Newton? No, that's not the case, and Cam Newton has showed us why. However, even with Hoyer, I do think that Julian Edelman still has opportunity. He did pop up on the injury list. I know that's not anything new for uh, Julian Edelman. So that's something that kind of had me scratch my head and want to make sure that he's fully healthy. But I do think he's going to go out and have a dominant game. And uh, unless you have way better options, I wouldn't ever try to sit Julian Edelman. My first reaction to Cam not being there was that, oh, no, what are we going to do with the Patriots receivers? I think we fade all of them. Then I started digging into how the Patriots have been operating early this season. And I know we're, she, we're showing Cam throw some deep balls here, but generally speaking, it's been a lot of underneath stuff, a lot of more intermediate throws. Because yeah, look, when you look at the, the air yards per attempt for Cam, it's been about that, about six or so yards down the field, not a ton of deep throws. He did it against the Seahawks because that Seahawks secondary has been awful all year long. But I think if they continue sort of on that path of a lot of short throws, a lot of intermediate throws, that helps Hoyer as well. That helps their wide receivers. Just get it into Edelman's hands, get it to Nikhil Harry or James White, and sort of let them do a lot of the work for you. So I don't know that they're going to put a lot of pressure on Brian Hoyer. I wouldn't start Hoyer in, in pretty much any format, but I don't know that I would necessarily be terrified of starting any of their receivers just because I don't know that in terms of their, their passing philosophy that it's going to change a whole lot with Brian Hoyer there versus Cam Newton. We know the Chiefs are going to throw the football because that's what they do, and they do it very well. They've got a couple of prime weapons in Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. So if you had to pick one who's going to have the bigger day, 
Who is it? Is it Tyreek or is it Travis? I'm going to go with Tyreek Hill on this one. Now, I know the Chiefs have kind of had a lot of tough matchups. They've won every single game because they're the Kansas City Chiefs, but there's still been tough matchups. I know there is a lot of worry about Tyreek Hill against the Los Angeles Chargers because consistently he's not really played well against them, and then he went and balled out. Then he also went and balled out against the Baltimore Ravens. He was targeted six times and caught five receptions for 77 yards and a touchdown, plus he had five carries for 25 yards in that win against the Ravens on Monday night where we shut down Lamar Jackson. Now, Tyreek Hill is clearly the favorite of Patrick Mahomes. He's receiving no less than six targets a game this year, and his speed allows him and Andy Reid to really stretch the field and use him in totally different routes and formats. He can run the ball quick. He can also stretch the field and go down the field to get those deep passes from Patrick Mahomes. So I think all of those things point to really positive signs against the Patriots' defense, and I think Tyreek Hill is going to go out and have another night. I will double down on that and say I think Tyreek Hill has the bigger night, too. The thing we've seen from the Patriots' defense this season, they're struggling down the field. And I know they still have Stephon Gilmore, who is one of the top corners in the league. But this is a defense that has given up more big passing plays this year than I think we're used to seeing. And the thing about Tyreek Hill is it only takes one or two for him to have that big day. Uh, you know, he, he only needs to catch maybe one ball downfield, maybe another one short, and just like you get get yards after the catch and make a big play. So the ceiling is incredibly high for him. So I think that's the reason I'm sort of leaning that way. They will find ways to get the football to all their playmakers. I mean, we saw Miko Hardman have a big week last week. We've seen Sammy Watkins be fairly steady week to week. So I do think they're going to spread the ball around. But in terms of the, the Chiefs wide receivers that I think have a big day, I, I still think Tyreek Hill is going to be the leader in that group for, for Kansas City. All right, we'll switch now to the game that was originally scheduled for Monday night. That is the Falcons at the Packers. That is set for an 8.50 Eastern time kickoff time. That one you can see as usual on ESPN. We did get news on Monday morning that it looks like Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley will play for Atlanta. On the other side, though, doesn't look like Devontae Adams is going to play. He had a tweet this morning about not being able to go. Uh, I think he was asked kindly, maybe not so kindly, by Packer management to take the tweet down. So it doesn't look like he's going to play, though, in this football game. But as for the Falcons, Julio Jones uh, had the huge week one. He didn't have a great week two, started to freak some people out, then sat out with a hamstring injury. Will he finally get in the end zone this week and put a lot of fantasy fears to rest? I think he will, and if you look at this matchup, both teams have the potential for this to be a high-scoring game. I, we can kind of make fun of the Atlanta Falcons because somehow they've been ahead and then they've lost, and that's on their defense. But I finally think that Julio is back into the end zone and he's back to the Julio magic. Now, I know a lot of fantasy managers have been worried. If you are one of those fantasy managers, you can tweet me at Kimmy Checks, and I will gladly make a trade to get Julio Jones on my fantasy squad. This is one of those things where this is like an overreaction theater. A guy goes out, has a huge week one, doesn't have a great week two, then he sits out, and everyone's freaking out. It's still Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley as well, both incredible receivers. This is a game where Matt Ryan is going to have to stretch the field to keep up uh, with Aaron Rodgers and that Packers offense, even though they have some injuries on the offensive side of the ball. So Julio, I trust you. Get into the end zone because I do have a few shares of you. And if you are a fantasy manager who wants to get rid of Julio, let, let him just play this week and watch him ball out and then be happy that you decided not to put him on the waiver wire or trade him away. Yeah, the rule is play Julio Jones. 
<laughs> Julio Jones is playing, you play Julio Jones. Because exactly. We know what, you know, at his best, I mean, week one, nine catches, 157 yards. That is a vintage Julio Jones week. And I know the argument has always been, well, he doesn't score touchdowns. I'm like, that's fine. He still gets me, you know, 15 to 25 points, even without getting in the end zone. I'm fine with that. So any touchdowns you get are an added bonus. I think he gets in the end zone tonight. I think they're going to welcome him back. They're going to get him plenty of targets. He's going to be Julio Jones. Everything's going to be fine. I just don't understand the yearly Julio panic. It is a tradition unlike any other. So hopefully it quiets tonight when he scores a touchdown and we can go on about our lives and we can worry about other trivial things when it comes to fantasy football. As for elsewhere in the Falcons offense, how much do you trust Todd Gurley against what's a pretty good Chiefs defense? Yeah, you know, I do Actually, trust I Packers defense. Packers. I'm sorry. I, yes. I do trust uh I trust Todd Gurley because if you think back to week three when Alvin Kamara and the Saints took on the Packers, that was Alvin Kamara's like best game. He had three touchdowns, something like 44 fantasy points. And a lot of the reason for that is because he was involved in the passing game and he was kind of used as a wide receiver and a running back at once because Michael Thomas was still dealing with a high ankle injury and was out for that game. Todd Gurley is not going to be as involved in the passing game. That's just not his role in that offense. That's where guys like Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones come in. But again, unless you have a better running back, which I kind of doubt anybody does, I'm absolutely going to play Todd Gurley tonight, and I'm going to trust him. I do think he has opportunities. I think he's going to get some goal line carries and hopefully get you some big fantasy points. So I trust him. I'm going to, I'm going to take a breather on this one uh, and let him into my lineup and let him shine. The touchdown upside is, I think, what we're hoping for from Todd Gurley. I had hoped coming into the season that maybe the Falcons would use him as a pass catcher more than the Rams did last year, but that doesn't really seem to be the case. So I think you are sort of – you can't bank on those PPR points from Gurley getting some of those easy catches out of the backfield. So you do hope that when they get down near the goal line that they use him and they allow him to score those touchdowns. The other concern that I have is that Brian Hill – is starting to get more love in the Falcons offense, starting to get more touches there. But I still would have Gurley, at least as a flex in this one. I would not certainly expect Alvin Kamara-type numbers from him, but I do think that the opportunity is going to be there. You just hope that he gets his early because if does if this does turn into a track meet, then he sort of gets X'd out because he's not a pass-catching option for Atlanta. On the flip side with Green Bay, as I mentioned, looks like Devontae Adams is not going to play in this one. We know Alan Lazard is on injured reserve after having surgery last week. So how much do we trust Marquez Valdez-Scantling with the Packers being shorthanded? I think we absolutely have to go in and we have to trust him. Aaron Rodgers is putting up MVP-like numbers. It's like him and Russell Wilson. They're like dominating. They're like, even though we're the OGs, we are still good. Watch us go out and ball. And Aaron Rodgers can still sling those balls. Now, when it was those three guys in that passing game, when it was Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, and MVS, MVS kind of took a fade for all of us. But with both of those guys out, I think if you have him, you absolutely should start him because, again, this is a game that has the potential to have a high scoring point differential. And these teams are going to consistently be throwing the ball. Like you said, that could be bad things for Todd Gurley if it really is a track meet. But if it is a track meet, that could mean huge upside and really good things for MVS. So if you have them and you're kind of teetering, do I, do I put them in my flex? Do I keep them on my bench? I would go ahead and put them as a flex option because Aaron Rodgers is going to be throwing that ball. And hopefully MVS is going to be catching it. 
I would feel better about MVS if Devontae Adams was there, but I do think the opportunity is going to be huge for him. I just look at him as sort of a volatile high ceiling play. You see a lot of these deep throws. That is generally how they use him. He leads the team in air yards, which means they're taking those shots down the field with him. And in some ways, like Tyreek Hill, he is that guy that only needs a couple in order to have a good day. I'm not putting him on Tyreek's level. I don't think he's quite that good of a player. But I think in terms of what his ceiling can be, uh, I think he's sort of there. So that is the reason I would maybe give him a shot. I would feel better with him in DFS than I would in more of a, a traditional you know, a seasonal league or sort of something like that. Uh, but uh, I, I do think the opportunity is going to be there. I would also sort of keep an eye maybe on Robert Tanyan, the tight end, who may get some some more looks as well uh, with, with Devontae Adams likely not playing in this game. The Packers probably having to throw the football quite a bit uh, in case the Falcons come out and score some big points early. So enjoy the Monday night doubleheader. We'll have plenty to talk about, certainly, as the week progresses. Be sure to check us out, of course, on NFL Fantasy Live all week long as we have more news about the – pretty much everything relating to your fantasy football teams. In the meantime, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by DraftKings. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, you don't want to be superstitious, but it's okay to be a little stitious. Take care of yourselves. Wear a mask. Be safe. And we will see you on Wednesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.